hope I hope you like mine. I hope I like yours. That's all we can hope for in this world. It, right? That we just like each other's stories. I mean, that's the whole point. In a world that doesn't make sense, I just want to like your story. <laughs> oh, we ask for so little out of life. And welcome to the 68th episode of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we're back to singing. And we're a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. And yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I am excellent. Back to work after homegrown. And I am awesome. homegrown tired. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Your standard uh, sore feet. Yep. You know, body ache, muscle thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. feeling good, feeling refreshed. Oh, good. I'm glad. Plus, I'm not. I got things. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I got things coming up. Um, Duluth Dolls are having a show this weekend with the Border Town Betty's. And awesome. it's the Halfway to Halloween show with Twin Ports Horror Society on nice. Friday the 13th. It's also almost Friday the 13th, which is always a great day in my book. I did not even put that together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking mint. Hmm. I think that means that my friend Jay is getting married on Friday the 13th. Because I'm going to his reception on the 14th. Hey. I think he's getting married the day before. You know, if I hadn't gotten married on Halloween, I would have wanted to get married on a Friday the 13th. Yeah. It's just a great day. like that. It's a great day. How are you doing? Uh, I'm tired. (laughs) <laughs> I'm very tired. I woofda. I cannot homegrown like I used to. Um yeah, just exhausted all the time. And you know what? I'm sad. I'm sad. Why? Because I finally caught up on Prophecy Girls and now I do not have anything to binge. <laughs> like all of a sudden I got to the end of the episode today and I was like why didn't it start the next one? And I looked and I was like, what? I have already caught up. What day do they even come out on? I don't know. I've never had to like wait for one. Thursday. Thursday. Okay. So. Oh, I'm so sad. You do what I do when I'm I sad. am done binging a podcast and uh, do not have the energy to look for a new one. I just mm-hmm. go on Libby and uh, download books and then just listen to books. Yeah. Yeah, I should do that. I've been I've been putting it off because well, I had this brand spanking new podcast to listen to. <laughs> Man, um, library library card is free. Yep, I I have the Libby app. I have the library card. All that's what I did during the pandemic is just listen to a lo- bunch of audiobooks. Uh but I am excited cuz this weekend, uh like I said, my friend Jay is getting married. I'm going to his reception and uh his reception is at Can Can Wonderland. Very cool. I've never I've been never there. I've never been. Uh-uh. But I hear it's amazing. So I'm fairly certain he rented the whole thing out. And 
we just get free reign and I get to see all my uh my coworkers from the radio station or past coworkers from the radio station and yeah, it'll be super fun. I'm excited. That's where the boys took Sean for his bachelor party. Oh. And where did we go for yours? Up down. The arcade one. Up down. Yeah. Okay. I still have some tokens from there, so if you ever want to go back. I always want to go back to up down. Let me know. Always. We have a sponsor-free episode this week, so we don't even need to get any word in from anybody. We could just dive right in. You're going to call attention to the fact that we don't have a sponsor? Yes, because I want people to know that if they want to sponsor an episode and, you know, chat with us about something they might want advertised or thrown out into the world, they can just... Email us, leftofskeptic at gmail.com, and then we can uh, chat. I promise we're not spendy. We're not. We actually very specifically asked for Earthrider to only do every other week so that we could have the option for other sponsors. And I was trying to make a nice segue into that information until you called me out on it. I'm sorry. I thought you were calling (laughs) us out on not being cool enough to have a sponsor. (laughs) We are open you have to sponsorships. We are we are polyamorous sponsor relationshipy. Yes, that is exactly how we would describe ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready to hear what I got for you? I am very ready. All right. This week, we're going back to Pottawatomie County, back to Council Bluffs. I'm trying really hard to remember what the story was there. Is that the place that had the fairies? No, that was the Devil's Kettle. Yeah. Council Bluffs is the Squirrel Cage Jail. Ah. Back in episode 32. Yes. You giggled so hard and so much. It was a lot of editing for me, I remember. (laughs) I like to giggle. Um, Yeah, I like that. And so it turns out the Squirrel Cage Jail is not the only haunted location in this Iowa city. There's actually a few, but today I'm going to be talking about the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial, also known as the Black Angel of Council Bluffs. Ooh. It is one of the most famous cemetery monuments in the Midwest. Standing near the entrance of the Fairview Cemetery, a beautiful cemetery on the hill with a view that overlooks the city. This memorial is better known to locals as Black Angel, beautiful and tall, one hand outstretched, and a fountain flowing with water out of a basin in the other hand. This statue is the epitome of what you think of when you think of classic angel sculptures. And it's gorgeous. Ruth Ann Dodge was the wife of Greenville Mellon Dodge. They were married in 1854. He was trained as a civil engineer, and later in life, he was well-known as a Civil War Union Army Major General. He also was a U.S. congressman and civil railroad engineer. During the Civil War, he served in the Union Army under Major Generals Ulysses S. Grant and William Sherman. And after the war, he was the driving force behind the Union Pacific Railroad Company and the effort to build the Transcontinental Railroad. He became one of the most accomplished men of the 19th century before he died in January 1916 at age 84. So, like, kind of a big deal. You know, I think it's really weird that people are constantly kind of hounding on millennials for jumping around from career to career. But every time we read these stories, that's what those men did. 
They started as one thing, then they did something else, then they did something else. They usually went into politics. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they just dabbled in this and this and that. And then they, you know, started a railroad. Yeah. So this guy, kind of a big deal, a hop around mm-hmm. big deal. So was his wife, Ruth Ann Dodge, also called Annie. While she didn't have all of the acclaim of her husband, she was known as an extremely intelligent, talented, and kind woman. She often accompanied him on his business dealings around the world. She was a skilled horse rider and a great shot, apparently, which I imagine was pretty impressive at that time. She loved gardening, music, and art in her free time. She was also an avid reader, and so she helped create the first public library in Council Bluffs. And she was a passionate supporter of women's suffrage movement, so a pretty accomplished woman herself before she passed away in September of 1916 at age 83. We're talking like 19th century power couple right here. Fuck yeah, bud. But all of her skills and knowledge are not what she is best known for. Thanks to her memorial statue, she is better known in death rather than in life. Okay. After her husband's death in 1916, her own health deteriorated pretty quickly. This was not necessarily a surprise because a lot of elderly people start to decline after their partner's passing, especially when they've been Mm -hmm. together for such a long time and when, you know, you're in your 80s living in the early 1900s. One night towards the end of her life, she had an extremely vivid dream. She later described the dream to her daughter, Anne. She said she was standing on a rocky shore when a boat approached her out of the mist. On the boat was an angel, tall and beautiful who held a basin of water, and the angel told her, Drink, I bring you both a promise and a blessing. Ruth Ann declined the offer. She said she felt unworthy, and it would be presumptuous of her to partake of anything so wonderfully pure, so heavenly, so spiritual. Mm, I think if you're offered it, though, you're allowed to take it. I would agree, but Ruth was like, nah. Annie was like, nah. The same dream came to her again a few days later, and Ruth Ann, again, declined. When the dream came to her a third time, she decided to accept the offer of water, and in her description, she felt she'd been transformed into a new and glorious spiritual being. She drank of that wonderful water of life, and it gave her immortality. Oh. We know these details because after each dream, she described them to her daughter Anne again. Mm -hmm. A few days after that third dream, some reports said the day after, some said a few days after. She passed away. Okay. So she finally drank the water. She passed away. But she became like an immortal being. After her passing, two of her daughters commissioned one of the country's leading sculptors, Daniel Chester French, to create a monument in her honor. French did his best to portray the beautiful vision of what Ruth Ann had described from her dreams. Dedicated in 1920, the monument stands amid a grove of trees. It is made of dark bronze, and thanks to the skill of the sculptor, all of the parts of the story are there. The boat, the beautiful tall angel with an outstretched hand and a basin overflowing with water, and the memorial states, to the blessed memory of our beloved mother, Ruth Ann Dodge. Born May 23rd, 1833, died September 4th, 1916. This memorial fountain is lovingly dedicated by her two daughters, Ella and Anne. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Proverbs 31, 28. That's beautiful. Later in life, French, the sculptor, would go on to create the famous statue that stands at the center of the Abraham Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. 
And despite this huge accomplishment, and many others apparently that he did, he said to have considered the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial his favorite piece. Aww. So this is a beautiful description of a beautiful, beautiful memorial. But why should we give a crap? Because this is a paranormal podcast, right? Right. Well, over time, the bronze statue has started to age. Mm-hmm. And it took on a dark black cast. As a result, French's statue became known as the Black Angel. And there are a few different stories about this angel. The locals may not all know her history, but they know her mm-hmm. name. One story says that the statue leaps off her pedestal at night to fly around the nearby graveyard. Another story claims that if you look into her eyes at midnight on the anniversary of her death, you uh-huh. will die early. Oh. One okay. news report from CBTV Channel 17 said that after midnight strikes, she starts to cry blood. Oh. And that if you look into her eyes, instead of the very vague description of dying early, you'll actually uh-huh. die within two weeks. Oh, it's like the ring. You will die in seven days. For the record, that's the only source that had that very specific timeline of two weeks. And I think it's funny that this was on a legit news channel broadcast. But they did say it was leading up to Halloween. They were like, yeah, this seems like a perfect story for the first, like, couple of weeks before Halloween. I was like, that's why you're telling it that way. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. Uh Uh-huh. I see. I see. You're all doom and gloom now because it's October. There were a few people's encounters shared on hauntedplaces.org. A user named Tyler posted in May of 2016, The top of the cemetery towards the long road is where the cemetery is most active. Ridiculously unsettling and frightening, especially at night. Not to mention, the black angel moves its arms by itself. You're going to show me a picture of this thing, right? Yes. Okay, good. In June of 2016, a user named Amber posted, Two friends and I were there last night after a few minutes taking pictures One of my friend's phones shut off completely, and my other friend's battery instantly dropped to low battery. Mine seemed to be fine, but every time I'd take a picture, the flash would not come on for anything. So we were taking pics of different angles with two phones, and we had left no matter what way we pointed, we all saw greenish orbs and no explanation for it. Okay, so no reasonable light sources, but green orbs are showing up in the camera. So we all got a creepy feeling, got back into the car, and as we were driving off, my first friend, whose phone shut off, said it started taking pictures in the car. Oh, no. Later, as we were comparing pictures, the only ones that came out were a few green spots by the angel, and the pictures that were took in the car were freaky. The whole car was filled with a hundred little green lights, and another one you can almost make out a male figure in the side of the car mirror. What? That's weird. In February of 2017, somebody named Norman posted, and this one just makes me laugh. There is a smaller watcher demon assigned to this statue 24-7, and he usually perches himself like a gargoyle on one of the statue's wings. Paranormal activity associated with the statue is typical with demonic hauntings. If you visit the site, you should use extreme caution when doing so. This is a territorial type of minion demon and acts like a watchdog. The overall intent of this demon appears to be to scare people. It feeds on fear and anxiety, but a demon like this should not be provoked. Don't touch, say, or think anything that may seem provocative. 
Demons have an acute sense of hearing and have the ability to read minds. They also have the ability to project images into your mind, such as seeing the statue's eyes follow you, arms move, etc. It would be safe to assume if this watchdog demon starts barking, a higher-ranking boss-type demon will be alerted. The location of this park is next to the cemetery, and to the best of my research, not on holy ground. Well, that's just out of left field, isn't it? But it is the only story I found with an explanation for why people might think the statue moves on its own. Uh, because of the little minion demon. Because of the demon projecting that into your head. Uh, I don't believe that. I'm just going to... I don't... No. The newest post was from April of 2021 when a user uh -huh. named Sonia shared, we were at the cemetery after closing time. I want to say maybe 10.30 p.m. We were walking through, joking around, and then I had to clean my glasses off. As soon as I looked up, I saw a gray figure glide through the tombstones on the hill in front of us and come across our path. I could hear what I thought were hooves on the cement path where I descended. If I had to guess, it was a horse. It was dark and we had no lights on whatsoever. Whatever I saw, I know no one will believe, and only one of my friends saw it towards the end but didn't hear it. I was truly scared. Okay, so that's another potential, like, demon No, they were saying they saw a gray figure a fly gray by. A gray figure, yeah. But and the there are the hoops. stories that say that the statue comes to life and flies around the cemetery at night. But what about the hooves? I don't know about the hooves. I, I thought that was the, uh, that they were implying that maybe a hooved animal had, like, a thing over it, a gray, like, shroud, and was walking around. She didn't really imply anything like that. She was just saying it sounded like a horse, I think. Okay. According to an Omaha World Herald article, nobody knows for sure when or why the memorial became so shrouded in this legend. As early as 1975, a World Herald reader complained that a recent article had misinterpreted the statue as a grim characterization of the Angel of Death. So at least the 70s, if not earlier. This is officially, before we even get to the later stuff, this is mm -hmm. going to be my first ever of my new thing. I am going to declare this story a nurness. A nurnas. N-R-N-N-A-S. Nurnas. What is... <laughs> no rating necessary, normal ass shit. Nurnas. Okay, I love that. I love that. Yep. <laughs> there is definitely no way you're going to die early if you look at this thing in the eye on September 4th at midnight. Literally every comment section in every article is full of, I looked at this statue in the eye at midnight a bunch of times. I'm still alive. The only exception that I could find was the hauntedplaces.org story. And those comment sections are not at all moderated and definitely not fact-checked. It's just people sharing mm -hmm. tales. I know I've used them in the past, and I will use them in a future because it's a good way to get people's personal experiences. But I think mm -hmm. it's really telling when that is the only source to find people's personal experiences. Yeah. Not even on Reddit? Not even on Reddit. And I searched hard. Oh. Most of the stories I shared could be associated to, like, I'm not saying that all these people were lying, but a lot of the stories they were kind of talking about could just be normal cemetery haunting stuff and not have anything to do with Ruth Ann Dodge. I was, 
okay, other than the fact that I brought up the hooves and the potential that it was like some sort of a, well, hooved demon, <laughs> um, I had thought that when you said that there was a gray thing floating around, mm-hmm. like why does it have to be her? Why couldn't it be something else? Yep, and the orbs. Yeah. And then that first story where they said they just got a weird feeling and it was frightening, It just that could just be normal cemetery hauntings. Which, yeah, if I or, revisit Council Bluffs, we might majors. get more reasoning behind those kind of tales, too. Yeah. What'd you, wait, what'd you call it? A nurnass? A nurnass. No rating necessary. Normal ass shit. I mean, hey. I like that. If y'all have stories of the area, let me know. I want to hear them. But for right now, I'm sticking with nurnass. It just doesn't even justify our skeptic scale. Yep. And I'm not the only person who thinks that. Corey Nelson, executive director of the historic General Dodge House and a Council Bluffs native, knows all about the legends, and she's heard the vague warnings against meeting the angel's gaze or touching its outstretched hand. And she said, it's just a statue with a fountain. I mean, that's really all it is. (laughs) Just, I think it's our job to pull out of the story what's actually true. Okay, so... Because you haven't shown me a picture, I'm just, I only have what I'm going in on in my head. But it is a legit fountain, right? Yes. But the fountain doesn't even work anymore. Sometime around 1960, it stopped working, and so she's just standing there holding a bowl. Over the years, the statue has been vandalized quite a bit, which is sad. Um, In 1984, they started doing restoration efforts, which also, along with cleaning it up from the vandalization, took away, I think, a lot of the patina for lack of a better word like the stuff that makes it black it's a lot better looking now and since then security measures have installed to discourage vandals apparently they have motion activated cameras that photograph late night visitors and uh, one of the stories said that there's an audio system that warns against trespassing but still it's pretty cool and very well documented about how she had those dreams before her death So while I don't think it's paranormal, it is beautiful and a lovely story. And I do think there are tons of elderly people out there predicting their deaths before it happens. So, you know, so we go share screen. There she is. Okay. Because I'm I'm really curious about why there isn't uh, some sort of a supernatural story about drinking from the bowl. You know? Maybe just not nobody wants to drink out of dirty fountain water. I mean. I can see where people get creeped out by the statue at night because look at this. Yeah, that's upsetting. It's a whole different vibe. Whole different vibe. Very beautiful in the daytime. Rather creepy at night. Very green. So, Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial, Black Angel of Council Bluffs. It was too cool of a story not to tell, and I am sick of passing up on my locations because I just don't think they're believable at all. So I have decided that every once in a while, I'm going to tell a story that is complete nurnass. Complete and utter nurnass. No rating necessary, but it's a cool story with a cool background. I love it. Normal I ass love it. shit. Normal ass shit. No rating necessary. Normal ass shit. Nurnass. Nurnass. It's even fun to say. I can't wait for my first nurnass. I don't want to make it an all-the-time thing. I would rather tell stories of real hauntings. But you have to admit, even when you know it's not real, is still kind of a creepy thought. 
Yeah, I mean, we've definitely had stories before that we've really enjoyed telling. And then when we go to rate it, we're like, yeah, that's like a one man. Yeah, but it was a great story. And now we have a term for that, nernass. A nernass. So if you have a story that you are absolutely sure that neither of us are going to believe, at the end, you just call nernass. And if it's a story where one of us is like, no, no, I buy it, then we we can um, we can debate. What's the, not petition. We can veto the nernass. We have veto ah. nernass power. We have veto powers on the nernasses. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Um, well, tonight I have a little bit of a, a different kind of story for you as well. Oh, cool. Let me just adjust myself real quick. <laughs> so uh, tonight I am going to tell you about Edgar Allan Poe. And the evidence that he might be a time traveler. Ooh. Okay, 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 okay. Let me crack my beer. <laughs> you seem like overwhelmed, <laughs> but in a good way. You're like, okay, okay, okay. What do I need to do first before I sit down, adjust myself? I need everybody to understand how much I fucking love Ed- Edgar Allan Poe. Every fucking chance I had in high school to write a story about Edgar Allan Poe, I would. If it was a paper, I'd, I had a ch- Edgar Allan Poe. Always Edgar Allan Poe because, like, my little goth girl heart was just like, he was so, like, misunderstood tortured. and tortured. So now, looking odd. back on it, like, he was a creep who married his fucking cousin and, like, had a major drug addiction. But still, it's still there. I still just, I can't not. Well, I hope I do you proud. Because I've never really looked into, like, the the full history of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I knew some of the stuff. Um, so this is a mixture of the evidence that he might be a time traveler as well as his life story. So I'm fully bought in. I am ready for this. I have never heard a theory about him being a time traveler before. So let me hear it. All right. So first, a little bit about Poe himself. Edgar Allan Poe was born in Boston, Massachusetts on January 19, 1809 to English actress Elizabeth Arnold Poe and Baltimore actor David Poe Jr. Within a year of Edgar's birth, his father abandoned him and his mother, and a year after that, when his mother Elizabeth passed away, Edgar was sent to live with a man named John Allen and his wife in Richmond, Virginia. Mr. Allen, assumed to be Poe's godfather, was a Richmond merchant, and although the Allens never formally adopted Edgar, he remained with them throughout his childhood and into his young adulthood. In 1826, when Edgar was 17, he began attending the University of Virginia. However, his time there was cut short when his gambling problem got the best of him, and after only 11 months of schooling, John Allen refused to continue to support him financially. Poe then dropped out of both the University of Virginia as well as John Allen's favor. So, Poe returned to Richmond, where he then got engaged to a woman named Sarah Elmira Royster. She, however, goes away for a while, and I'm not really sure why those two crazy kids didn't work out, but (laughs) he moved on to Boston. She apparently didn't go with him, or at some point in time, she she drops out of the story, and I don't know why. I feel like I know why their relationship didn't work. Oh, that's right. Okay. So Sarah Royster 
They were together before he left for the U University of Virginia. They fell out of contact while he was at the University of Virginia. And then while they, like, fell out of contact there, she married some other dude, and then they didn't talk until after um, uh, Poe's wife died. Okay. Okay. So that's why those two crazy kids didn't work out. Yeah. Well, after that, he moved to Boston, and in 1827, he published his first collection called The Tamerlane and Other Poems, which was credited as being written anonymously by, quote, a Bostonian. Shortly after, poverty forced him to join the army under the assumed name of Edgar A. Perry. In 1829, Poe and John Allen reached a temporary reproachment when Allen's wife, Poe's foster mother, passed away. No, I don't know her name. For some reason, she's only referred to in all of my sources as the wife or the foster mother, but she doesn't get an actual name, which is... And I don't know what it do is. Just to women all the time. After which, John Allen purchased Poe's release from the Army. He then went on to become a cadet at West Point, once again with Allen's support, but uh, he was pretty lousy at it, and he never went to drills or to classes, which they did not like, so they expelled him. He then decided that what he really wanted to do was be a writer and a poet, so he parted ways with John Allen for good, and then he was off to New York City, baby! <laughs> he hung out there for a while, publishing various works, before moving back to Richmond, Virginia. By 1835, he was made the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, though not long after, he was let go due to being drunk on the job, a habit of his which he would continue uh, throughout his career. His entire life. Entire life. He then married his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia Clem, in 1836. Poe was 26. Apparently, they had someone at the wedding falsely claim that she was 21. According to most accounts, he was a good husband. Mm -hmm. But I know, I don't... Even if he was a really good husband and a good son-in-law... I cannot get over Your my feelings outness. about the age difference. Your yes, outness. it's not even a matter of time. It's just a matter of, ugh. They obviously knew that something was wonky. Otherwise, they went to falsely claim that she was 21. Yeah. But shortly after their marriage, he actually returned to the messenger with the promise of good behavior. He's like, I promise not to drink anymore while on the job. And he began to publish poems, book reviews, and stories in the paper. In 1838, Poe published his first and only novel called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. The story is about a boy, unsurprisingly named Arthur Gordon Pym, who <laughs> stows away on a whaling ship that inevitably gets lost at sea. When the seamen find themselves without supplies, <laughs> they seamen. elect... I almost just said sailors, and I was like, no, I'm going to say seamen, because I know Kayla's going to like it. <laughs> so when the seamen find themselves without supplies, they elect to draw straws in order to determine a sacrifice, which one of them will be eaten so the others will survive. That's right. Cannibalism. In the end, a boy named Richard Parker draws the shortest straw. Yada, yada, yada. Richard Parker gets eaten, and Arthur Pym continues on with his adventures. I love that you just yada, yada, yada cannibalism. <laughs> Yeah, yada, yada, yada. He got eaten. <laughs> Continued on with his adventures. It was fine. Whatever. But here is the very first instance of Edgar Allan Poe's mysterious knowledge of the future. Again, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket was written in 1838. 
Then, some 46 years later in 1884, four men were set adrift after their yacht sank. Shipwrecked and without food, they too resorted to cannibalism to survive, which they did by electing to eat a 17-year-old cabin boy, a cabin boy whose name was also Richard Parker. According to Upworthy.com, quote, the extraordinary parallel went unnoticed for nearly a century until a widely circulated letter from the descendant of the real Parker outlined the similarities between the novel scene and the actual event. The letter was selected for publication in the Sunday Times after journalist Arthur uh, Kostler put out a call for tales of striking coincidence. Striking indeed. Yeah. Unquote. And Poe continued to write, all the while moving from job to job. There is some evidence to imply that perhaps his drinking was the cause of his job hopping. According to Britannica.com, quote, drinking was in fact to be the bane of his life. To talk well in large company, he needed a slight stimulant, but a glass of sherry might start him on a spree. And although he rarely succumbed to intoxication, he was often seen in public when he did, mm-hmm. unquote. In 1840, Edgar Allan Poe published a short story in Burton's Gentleman magazine called The Businessman. The story questions the concept of the self-made man. The narrator of the story is one Peter Prophet, who is a methodical businessman by his own admission. According to Peter, as a young boy, a nurse swung him around and he bumped his head against a bedpost, and that single event determined his fate. The resulting bump was in an area dedicated to this system and regularity according to phrenology, which is the study of the bumps on your head that give you personality traits, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as head trauma. (laughs) And this then led to a life of obsessive regularity and violent sociopathic outbursts, which you've read this story. Yeah. Is that correct? I didn't read the story. It's been a long time, but it sounds familiar. Which, if you're a fan of the true crime genre, is an all-too-familiar story. Smacked on the Person head, gets hit violent on the head. outburst. Violent outburst, exactly. And this is the second instance of Poe knowing something he supposedly shouldn't know. Upworthy.com mentioned the case of Phineas Gage, a railroad worker who in 1848, eight years after Poe wrote The Businessman, suffered a traumatic brain injury after taking an iron spike through the skull. Ow. And although he survived the incident, his personality changed drastically. No and it way. Was this... <laughs> well, it was this case of Phineas Gage and the study of his behavioral changes that allowed the medical community to develop its first understandings of the role that the frontal lobe plays on social cognition. Quote, Poe's grasp of frontal lobe syndrome is so precise that neurologist Eric Altscher wrote, There's a dozen symptoms, and he knows every single one. There's everything in that story we've hardly learned anymore. Outschuler, who, to reiterate, is a medically licensed neurologist and not a crackpot, went on to say, (laughs) (laughs) It's so exact that it's just weird. It's like he had a time machine, unquote. Over the next decade or so, he continued to publish some of his most famous work, such as The Murders in the Rue Morgue and The Raven, Hashtag fun fact, when I was little, my sister realized that the best way to get me out of her room when she didn't want me there was to quote the raven at me. And because of that, 
I know the beginning of the Raven by heart because she had memorized most of the Raven. But and if, now I but if she know just, some of it. If she just quotes the Raven, she would just be saying nevermore at you like 800 times. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many quaint and curious volumes of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as if someone's gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis a visitor, I muttered. Is this a nothing more? Rapping, rapping at my chamber door. And by that point, I usually got so annoyed that I left. So it was a very good strategy, Andrea. You could have hit me. Instead, I learned some of the raven. I was I was making a funny joke because to quote the nevermore. Raven. Nevermore. I was yeah. saying you said she quoted the Raven. So I just said oh, she would just the say Raven nevermore. Raven said nevermore. I was uh-huh. she would just say nevermore. My dad would have gotten that joke. He has the entirety of the Raven memorized. I only have until that point because again by that point I left. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> oh my god, just stop, just stop. And she just kept going, and then I'm like, okay, fine, I'll I'll go. Bye. <laughs> it's a really good strategy. For you older siblings out there, just just take that into account. The most applicable Poe story I can think of right now is The Mask of the Red Death. I I read a lot of Poe because I took a Tales of Terror class in college, but uh, I don't remember most of them. And The Mask of the Red Death is a short story about, like, a prince and his, like, big groups attempt to avoid a dangerous plague known as the Red Death by hiding in their abbey and then they die anyway. Oh. So it's, you know, it feels very fitting. Yeah. Yeah. I have my sister's entire works of Edgar Allan Poe that she quoted the Raven at me from, so uh, maybe maybe I'll read it. And it's short stories, a lot of it, not all of it, a lot of it's short stories so you can just like read a story, go to bed. Anyway, time traveling Poe. Back to Poe's life story. So in January of 1842, Poe's wife, Virginia, started to show the signs of consumption. And although she did eventually get better, it was only partially. And Edgar Allan Poe began to drink even more heavily under the stress of her illness. Then on January 30th, 1847, Virginia died, after which Poe became increasingly unstable. A year after Virginia's death, he attempted to court poet Sarah Ellen Whitman, who lived in Providence, Rhode Island. It didn't last. Apparently, his drinking and erotic behavior was just a little bit too much for her to deal with. Erotic or erratic? Because <laughs> you said erotic. You know, it's it's actually erratic, but I don't know. Maybe it is erotic <laughs> behavior. <laughs> maybe it was just a lot for, you know, the 1848s. <laughs> I was going to say this at the end. But this is very Mm -hmm. fitting for this section of the story because I had to look this up because there's a favorite quote from Whitman that I have. Okay. So um, Poe was like super relentless about pursuing her, like Uh creep master level pursuing her. But like part of it was the drinking. Another part of it was that she thought she was too old for him because they were like 10 years apart. Oh Well, I mean, he loves huge age gaps. (laughs) So it made me... It made me think of this. In one letter, Whitman wrote to Poe, and I looked this up to make sure I was telling it exactly. I can only say to you that had I youth and health and beauty, I would live for you and die with you. Now, were I to allow myself to love you, I could only enjoy a bright, brief hour of rapture and die. I love that quote. Yeah. 
dude. Damn. Yeah, right? It's such a good quote. Oh, my God. See, erotic. It's erotic. <laughs> Rapture and die. That's all we could all hope for, baby. Exactly. But, yeah. It, it was too much either way. Um, I don't even know how to segue from that, so I'll just continue on. Uh, it was around this time that Poe published Eureka, a prose poem, which was a work of nonfiction that he had adapted from a lecture that he had presented on February 3rd, 1848, titled On the Cosmography of the Universe at the Society Library in New York. Eureka, which was Poe's last major work and his longest nonfiction work, where he attempted to explain the universe using his general proposition, because nothing was, therefore all things are. In it, Poe discusses man's relationship with God and the universe, and he begins with, quote, I designed to speak of the physical, the metaphysical, and the mathematical, of the material and the spiritual universe, of its essence, its origin, its creation, its present condition, and its destiny. According to Upworthy.com, the 150-page prose poem was critically panned for its complexity and regarded by many as the work of a madman. Eureka describes an expanding universe that began in one instantaneous flash derived from a single primordial particle. He goes on to put forth the first legitimate solution to Albert's paradox, the question of why, given the vast number of stars in the universe, the night sky is dark, by explaining that light from the expanding universe has not yet reached our solar system. Shit. Mm-hmm. When Edward Robert Harris, astronomer and physicist, published Darkness in the Night in 1987, he credited Eureka as having anticipated his findings. And in a 2014 article in Nautilus, Italian astronomer Alberto Capi, who studies galactic clusters and the structure of the universe, is quoted as saying, It's surprising that Poe arrived at his dynamically evolving universe because there was no observational or theoretical evidence suggesting such a possibility. No astronomer in Poe's day could imagine a non-static universe, unquote. In 1849, Poe traveled south, had a wild spree in Philadelphia before making it home to Richmond. Once he got there, he got engaged to his childhood sweetheart, Sarah Elmira Royster, who by that time was the widowed Mrs. Shelton, which is probably the dude that she married. Yep. I told you she was only going to be gone for a little while. <laughs> they spent one happy summer together before Poe left for Baltimore in late September. Then, on October 3rd, 1849, Poe was found deliriously wandering the streets of Baltimore. He was taken to the Washington Medical College, where he died on Sunday, October 7th, 1849, at 5 a.m. Poe was never coherent long enough to explain how he had come to be in this dire condition, nor why he was wearing clothes that were not his own. He is said to have repeatedly called out the name Reynolds on the night before his death, though it is unclear to whom he was referring to. All medical records have been lost, including Poe's death certificate. Newspapers at the time reported Poe's death as congestion of the brain or cerebral inflammation, common euphemisms for death associated with alcoholism. And although his actual cause of death remains a mystery, speculations have included heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, cholera, carbon monoxide poisoning, and rabies. I can add at least one more to that list. Okay. So 
uh, he was found in different clothes. Uh-huh. Like, uh, the dude that found him and that wrote home to his family and, like, recognized that he wasn't in his regular state. Yeah. Like, knew those weren't his clothes. And so there was a theory that he might have been mugged for his, like, decent clothes and put in worse ones. Oh. Like, that he might have been beaten up and mugged. Like, he might have been drinking, but the reason for his, like, really bad state was that he had been beaten and mugged. That's actually very similar to another theory that dates back to 1872, which suggests that cooping was the cause of his death. Mm-hmm. So cooping is a form of electoral fraud in which citizens are forced to vote for a particular candidate, which actually sometimes leads to violence and even murder. Like, you must vote for them if you don't, we'll beat you up. Yep. I don't know. Edgar Allan Poe was buried in the Westminster Presbyterian Churchyard in Baltimore. And the inspiration for this story came from the November 2021 article on Upworthy.com, if you didn't pick up that common <laughs> common reference, by a Jake Oftenharts called Three Moments That Might Convince You That Edgar Allan Poe Was a Time Traveler. In the case of Poe, it was his fiction as well as Stranger Than Fiction. Nice. So, I want everybody to understand... How even with my interruptions and anecdotes, I was holding so much back. God, I love Poe. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, And I I could have honestly written so much. There was so much detail about his life, but I really just needed to get us from point A to point B. Yep. And then talk about those three points along the way. Yep. And I have more thoughts. If anybody wants to talk to me about Edgar Allan Poe, ever, just let me know. We'll talk about Poe. I talk about Poe, but all those thoughts that are like swimming in my brain that I want to point out aren't actually relevant to what we're talking about. We could just do a bonus unedited episode. (laughs) What we are talking about right now is was Edgar Allan Poe a time traveler? So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this theory a two, but here's why. Okay. I think it is much more likely that Edgar Allan Poe could see the future. Okay, so technically the inspiration was was Edgar Allan Poe a time traveler, but realistically the general concept is did he know what the future held? That's what I'm saying. Like psychic seems way more likely. Now if it was could I agree. Edgar Allan Poe have seen the future and that's how he knew these things? Whether he did it consciously or unconsciously, like maybe he went into like drunken stupors and then like saw the future and then was like, man, that'd make mm-hmm. a great story. If that yeah. was the case, I would put it at like a four. Okay, so I'm 100% following your exact same logic. I do not believe that he was a time traveler. I do believe that he could potentially see the future. Oh, I think I think that when you have like experts or what did they say? A person who is, to reiterate, a medically licensed neurologist and not at all a crackpot. (laughs) When you have, like, these expert neurologists and people who study the universe saying, I have no idea how he came to these conclusions when he did, because as a person who has studied the timeline of these things, he shouldn't know these things. But he does. Dude, my man Poe, like, he was drunk. He's a gambler. He's a drug addict. Uh, he married a way underage woman who was related Repetitive. to him. Very closely. 
Yeah. Uh, like, there's a lot of problems. But uh-huh. the man could spit out some words. Yep. And yep. he was very intelligent. He just suffered from that whole uh, drunk white boy artist thing that we've seen so many times where, like, you know, just it doesn't work out for you. <laughs> Sorry. You could have been brilliant, but instead you decided to be a drunk asshole. So I know. I know. And some might say that, you know, his his dad abandoned him before he was even a year old and his mother died before he was like three. Mm-hmm. But, you know. All right. Full disclosure, y'all. Uh, about five minutes there where we had to pause because a train went by and my brain is so full of Edgar Allan Poe information that I don't about. know where he left <laughs> off. But here's where I'll leave with after the rating. I should find uh-huh. that picture of my Halloween costume and post it on our social media where I was Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. I just wore a really short yes. dress and drew a picture of a telltale heart on my arm and wore an Edgar Allan Poe mask and carried around a cigarette. And I was an Edgar Allan Poe. You know, I've seen that photo. I was very proud of that one. (laughs) You should revive it for this year. (laughs) (laughs) I have a Reddit story for us this week. Awesome. It's been a while. It's been a while. So this was pulled from the Ghost Stories subreddit. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's from the user The Emotional Emu, posted Love it. a mere two days ago. The title is Paranormal Encounter Railway Ghosts? I need some help figuring this out. And then they tag them on the ghost stories to say, like, encounter, experience, like, those kind of things. This one says need to be debunked because it is this person asking for assistance. Okay. So The Emotional Emu writes... So, a couple of years ago, I was returning from a family reunion with my relative when we had to pass through a railway station. It's not far from my house, and it's fairly serene and lovely at night, so I've never been hesitant to walk by. In fact, it's one of my favorite town passes. However, this time, at the station's very exit, at a crossroads, we noticed the silhouettes of an elderly couple approaching slowly. We'd never seen anything like that. The woman was dragging her legs and holding her husband's hand while he carried the bag and commented on how late they were. It was almost 2 a.m., pitch black, yet their pale faces nearly glowed in the moonlight. They appeared normal, but they were pale, like unhealthy pale. Hey now, taking offense to that. They were dressed in clothing that was clearly not from this era, with the woman wearing a multi-layered long dress and the man wearing a formal suit. Something I've absolutely never seen on an older couple here. They passed close next to us, through the passageway so narrow that I had to step aside. But honestly, I'm not sure if they could see me, despite the fact that I was right next to them. Their gaze was so strange. The very next moment, my relative put his hand on my shoulder and murmured, please don't. But I had already decided to turn back and look, and they were gone. I couldn't see them anymore, not even in the distance. They vanished completely. I later checked the train timetable online and realized that there were no trains around at that time. I still don't understand what happened back then, but if anyone is interested in further information or anything, I'd be happy to share it. And so the top comment was, 
Did your relative give any information like why they said please don't and if they knew something? Right. That's what I was going to ask. And OP replied, he said he saw the same thing just after we went by. In fact, we even exchanged glances just before passing by that couple. I also asked him whether he'd seen something similar previously, but he stated it was the first time. He didn't want me to turn back because he's afraid of what might have happened. I must add that another strange thing happened in his presence. On the exact same day, a few years later, we were sitting in a garden when I saw a white figure behind him. The next day, I found out that my neighbor died in his garden an hour before I saw that. But that was only a white figure, kind of smoky, that faded away. What we saw in 2018 was far more human. We saw them from a distance, so it wasn't one second, but more like a minute. The only odd thing was that when we noticed them exactly at the crossroads, despite the fact that the road behind them could be seen, we passed them side by side, so close that we almost collided, and these people were undoubtedly something otherworldly. So I brought this one up because I thought it was, they had asked for it to be debunked. Obviously, we're not posting on Reddit. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was interesting for a tiny, tiny bit of discussion because we never really discuss the Reddit stories. Right. But and this one's asking to be discussed. Exactly. And what I think might happen is that this relative that the user was with, because in another comment mm-hmm. he said he didn't have a lot of experiences, maybe that the relative was some sort of like, not necessarily conduit. a medium, but a conduit. Yeah. Yeah. I would never, my, I don't know if the average person's response would be like, don't look, don't look back. I'm, I'm worried about what will happen. Mm -hmm. I feel like the average person's immediate response is to like do a double take. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds as if the relative might have experienced these kind of things before and maybe did not like what happened when they looked back. It also kind of makes me think that maybe they were just seeing echoes based on the fact that he said that that couple just like walked right past them like it was a memory. And Mm -hmm. the one in the garden was just like white smoke, nothing solid. I don't think that it's necessarily anything malevolent. I think maybe just like things appear when he's around. Yeah, I don't think it's anything malevolent either. But I just thought it was a cool story. yeah, it's a pretty good it's a pretty cool story. I don't have any way of debunking that. <laughs> so, if you have a story you would like to share, something that's your own experience, a Reddit story that maybe you thought was really cool, um, a location that you want to hear about maybe, any of this, you can do so by emailing us directly leftofskeptic@gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page. You can also click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you'd prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. Yes, please. Let's uh, keep on normalizing pronouns. Yes. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Left of Skeptic or Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, it has been an interesting evening. It's been a very long week. And I want to thank you for spending the night with me, Brittany. And I want to thank everybody else for listening because we love you very much. I'm just so glad that you like Edgar Allan Poe as much as you do. Oh, yeah, it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Quote the Raven, nevermore. <laughs>